This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Women to Watch is an intimate look into the lives of prominent and influential women leaders from around the world and the challenges they faced on their journey. It's the real story behind her title. Join us every week to hear more stories about women from around the world and in your own communities at womentowatch.net. Do you stream on a Roku, Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. In the big story on Action News. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another week of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco. Thanks so much for being with me this week. Uh, joining me in just a moment will be Jenny Hill. And Ginny is the CEO of the Girl Scouts for Central and Southern New Jersey. So we're going to be talking about girls' leadership and um, and actually a, a quote or excuse me a statistic that surprised me about how many uh, women leaders were actually former Girl Scouts. As always, later in the show, you'll hear from our watch team of corporate partners, bringing you news and information from their organizations and their industries. And this week, Sherry Marson for our Lifestyle Watch segment is going to be speaking with Natanya, Natanya Sortland, and she's an ambassador for Vision Corp. So we'll be um, listening to her conversation later on in the show. So now I'm very honored and excited to welcome to the show, Ginny Hill. Hi, Ginny. Hi, Sue. How are you today? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for joining me. Taking sure. time out of your, what I'm sure is a very busy schedule. Absolutely. And I'm thrilled to be here with you today. Terrific. Um, so I understand you were born in Wilmington, Delaware, and I wondered if you could just talk a little bit about the community there. You know, what was the neighborhood like? What was it like growing up there? Sure. So um, first off, I'm really uh, blessed to, to live in the neighborhood still. Uh, as an adult, or I should say I'm back in the neighborhood where I grew up. Um, you know, it's the northern Wilmington suburbs, um, which for a convenience uh, perspective is super close to Philadelphia, super close to southern New Jersey. Uh, we have Amtrak to take to New York and, and to D.C., so a real uh, accessible place to live. 
And I grew up in a community, uh, you know, where a lot of the moms were at home when I was younger. Um, my own mother went back to, to work when I was in the, in the fourth or fifth grade, I think. Um, and, you know, had the real benefit of a local neighborhood, but then the rest of the world kind of around us. And, you know, Delaware is somewhat of a small community. So, um, you know, and, and my father's people are from here. So there's a lot of family roots here as well. Tell me, what did your mom do? She went back to work. What did she do? Yeah. So my mother was originally a music educator. Um, She taught uh, uh, violin. She was a classically trained violinist. Um, Later on, there wasn't quite enough money in that. So she worked for, um, uh, as a paralegal, I think you would call it today, although they didn't call it that. And one of the, the, most interesting stories that she had was about how when she got married and then got pregnant with me about how she had to quit her job because at that time you know pregnant women were not uh, permitted in the workplace so she was a stay-at-home mom for a while and then she went back and did some you know typical work sort of in that same line administrative in a legal department um, and also was a professional musician for a lot of years wow. Um, And then that, you know, once she retired from work, that musical um, an educator, musical educator in her came back and she taught adults how to play string instruments. So how about you? Did you pick up on any? Not. Yeah, I I have a musical uh, bent, but I am a a vocalist. So my mother's sister was also uh, a musician uh, and an opera singer. Wow. So I got the vocal genes for my aunt. So I have, uh, you know, been singing, uh, did some community theater, sing in my church, you know, that kind of thing. Uh, my father gave me the, the sit down early on. You, you will starve if you try to make a career as a vocalist. <laughs> uh, you probably don't want to do it more as a hobby and as a side gig than try to make it your, your life's work. Right. So tell when you were that little girl, tell me what you were dreaming, aspiring to be. Sometimes it's very in line with what we end up doing and sometimes it's not. Yeah. So um, I think when I was growing up that I thought more about what I wanted to do than who I wanted to be. And Mm -hmm. so for me, um, you know, very early on, I... Um, became very fascinated with the idea of helping people and giving back. I have a memory of watching uh, uh, the Jerry Lewis muscular dystrophy telethons, which were days on TV. You know, I, I wanted to catch every minute of that. Um, I organized the kids in my neighborhood to have a backyard carnival, you know, such as it was, you know, to, to wow. try to raise money for him. Um, and so I, I used to think a lot about that. And then when I was in high school, um, you know, I feel as though probably it was more the environment than me, you know, it's sort of doctor, lawyer, business leader. There were sort of only three th- teacher, maybe nurse. Mm-hmm. And so originally I took that concept of service and giving to others. And my original career goal was to be an obstetrician. Wow. And it was only after two years in college when I realized that, that the, the, educational path and the lifestyle was not what I wanted that I, I made a turn. I changed my major to English because I was good at communication and writing. Um, I didn't really know what I was going to do with that, but my father's challenge was you, you need to get a job. And so I worked really hard, um, those last three years of college and, um, 
graduated in a year when it was somewhat of a down economy, but I made sure I got a full-time job. And so started out in technical writing, um, actually writing the, the, use, the old user manuals that we used to get in software packages. That was my first uh, wow. out of college. Not necessarily creative writing, I guess. No, not, cre- <laughs> not necessarily creative writing, more more prescribed writing, procedural directions, yeah. Yeah. Um, you shared with me something that I was very familiar with, that you grew up in a household with siblings that were athletes and you were not. Um, and I had a very similar experience. I was between two boys who both, you know, played sports. And mm-hmm. um, I think that can sometimes wreak a little havoc on you your self-esteem. Was that an issue for you? It was a little bit. Um, you know, I, um, I tried very hard to compete with my siblings, even though I was the athlete. Um, you know, when, when we joined a local swim club, I joined the swim team with them. My, my sister in particular was an amazing swimmer, really fast, um, set records, you know, that kind of thing. And my brother was, was a baseball player and a football player. He, he, there wasn't a sport he didn't do at least excellent at, if not exceptional. And so it was only that swimming that really gave me um, the opportunity to feel like I was um, sort of in the same league with them. But I think I benefited because I was the oldest. So, so for some, to some extent, I didn't feel as though um, I wasn't sandwiched like you were, right? So I didn't feel as though I had to kind of fit in, but I always wanted to be the athletes like like they were. Um, And so music was really the thing that I did um, that was was my own. Yeah. Um, I'm curious as well, you took a trip in fourth grade, which is ironic. That's when your mom went back to work. Mm -hmm. And um, a trip to DC that kind of, you know, opened your eyes to wow, there's another whole big world out here outside of Delaware. Mm -hmm. What do you remember most about that trip? Oh my gosh. Well, three things. Um, the first of all, it was a Girl Scout trip. Um, and so, you know, one of the reasons why I do what I do today is because of the, these little, seemingly little experiences that we give girls that can really be transformational. But the, the three funniest things I remember were that um, we, we went on a bus and it was, I, I had ridden a school bus many, many times, mm-hmm. but I had never ridden, you know, that kind of a bus. So that to me was fascinating. I remember getting off the bus and just being kind of blown away at the architecture and, you know, seeing the Capitol. And then the third thing is a very funny thing, but um, I remember being really fascinated at the lunches that the adults brought. Like there were some really, and I don't know why, I guess because in school, the teachers didn't really eat with the, with the students, right? They, they would eat in the teacher's lounge, but I, I was just fascinated with, wow, these adults packed lunches and look at these, you know, seemingly weird things that they are eating. Like um, cucumber, cucumbers and tomatoes with no lettuce was the one that I still think about that, like about how I thought that was so weird, you know? Well, what did you eat in, as a family growing up? Was it, you know, because I grew up in a very Irish household where the food was pretty plain and basic. So if I had seen something, you know, a little more upper level, 
um, I would be surprised and interested. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we were um, Polish and Irish uh, from an ethnic perspective. So yes, a little meat and potatoes, a little Polish flair. My mother was a really good cook. So, you know, we didn't have a, a wide variety of cuisine that I had been experienced to, but I think it was more the vegetables that surprised me because I, I guess we didn't have a lot of vegetables or maybe just not the combinations. That was what I found interesting. Yeah. Can you tell me a little bit about what um, growing up, we all, especially girls, we go through angst for a lot of reasons. There's a lot of things that are challenging for us. Can you share, you know, something that was challenging for you that perhaps you have overcome now with the wisdom, right? Um, mm -hmm. Or or perhaps something you still have to work on? Yeah. So, um the fact about me is that I, I stand five foot seven. You can't see how tall I am on, on the Zoom, obviously. Um, I have been five foot seven since the fourth grade. Wow. I grew very tall, very fast, very young. And, um, and so I felt very out of place um, all through elementary and middle school. Was teased a bit um, because of my size. Mm -hmm. um, you know, eventually the kids grew up, right? And, and literally grew up, right? So, uh, you know, by high school, everybody was, you know, normal adult height. And certainly now as an adult, I'm, I'm in the middle, right? Five foot seven mm -hmm. is not considered tall or short. Um, but I remember um, later on, running into one of my classmates who made a comment about my professional accomplishments and said to me, oh, you know, of course you're a CEO of a women's leadership organization. That makes perfect sense to me. And I really thought back on that and thought, gosh, I felt so physically out of place, but there was something about what I was doing and who I was mm -hmm. at that time that I really wasn't connected to. And so I feel like since that time, I have really thought a lot about the, my childhood experiences and really put them in what I think is a healthy context um, in terms of how they informed and shaped me and really tried to find the positive in all of those experiences. Yeah, that's a really interesting story because I think it speaks to when very often what's happening inside of us um, but we're still able, you were clearly leading from a young age, just organizing those neighborhood carnivals, I think, is an example of your leadership. Um, so there was still a small boy saying, you can, you know, you, you're insecure, but you're feeling insecure, but you still did things in a leadership way. You were leading yeah. and, and people recognize that and you probably weren't even aware. I wasn't even aware that I was doing it. Yeah. And, yeah. and, you know, and I certainly look back, you know, and can point to other moments between, you know, my earliest memories and my beginning of adulthood post-college where I can say, oh, it was that teacher's encouragement that made a huge difference. And um, I remember in high school being encouraged to run for office, which, you know, student council office, which I but was crazy um, because I wasn't pop. I didn't see myself as popular. Again, another example of where somebody saw leadership in me that I didn't. I didn't see at all. You know, you were appearing competent. I, was, <laughs> I guess that's it, right? You can be appearing very competent. You know, tell me what. Why is it important to you? Um, or let me ask it this way: How do you envision the world being a better place when more? women and girls are in positions of leadership? 
Well, we know, I mean, there's, there's research out there, just out there to substantiate it too. Women are collaborative leaders. Um, we want to make sure that um, we're engaging others in our leadership and in the success and in the outcomes. That's really critical. Um, I think that it's, it's untapping potential and talent and creative ideas if women are left at the sidelines or don't have a voice um, in decisions, whether we're talking about decisions in the home or decisions in their workplace or the community or the PTA or whatever the, the circles of life are that that particular uh, woman, you know, is involved in. Um, you know, and and that collaborative leadership is really fostered um, because women are relationship people, right? And those relationships are what create power and um, really make the world a better place for all of us. And would you agree with me? I think what women do also innately and naturally is they're always concerned about the the common good, everyone around. It's it's not just focusing on that one individual. They're just always, is everybody okay? Yes. <laughs> yes. Else, right? How yes. are we working as a group? Yes. Yes. I mean, we are the, we are the caregivers um, in, in our society and culture, and that's yeah. a really important facet to leadership as well. Yeah. I read a remarkable uh, statistic this morning, you know, in preparing for the interview that 80%, close to 80% of women who are entrepreneurs and CEOs were, were Girl Scouts. That's mm -hmm. that's an incredible number. Number. I yeah. want to talk a little bit more about that when we come back. We have to go into sure. our first break. Stay tuned for our watch team, and we'll be right back with Ginny Hill. We are CHOP, and we can't wait to show you around. We're the nation's first children's hospital. Now, a care network with more than 50 locations that continues to expand. Three state-of-the-art research buildings with 1.5 million square feet of space. We have grown from 12 beds 165 years ago to nearly 600 beds and one of the best children's hospitals in the world. We have a level one trauma center, 11 floors of patient units, more than 20 operating rooms, first-of-its-kind delivery unit for babies with birth defects, a separate cardiac operative and catheterization suite, and places to learn, like our internationally recognized simulation center. We have trained generations of leaders in the field of pediatrics. We are world leaders in medicine, surgery, and science. One of the top recipients in NIH funding for pediatric research. In this building, pioneers in CAR-T therapy, mitochondrial disease, brain tumors, hyperinsulinism, and other rare diseases. Here, groundbreaking work in fetal surgery, genetics and genomics, and neurology. In our newest building, leaders in social determinants of health, clinical informatics and epidemiology, autism, trauma and injury prevention, our patients come from every state and 115 countries.
Meeting these challenges requires the best and the brightest. We are passionate about pediatrics. We are motivated to make a difference in the world and in our community. We are a team. We are CHOP. Do you stream on a Roku, a Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. Watch Action News Live. And the big story on Action News. Plus special programming, breaking news, and severe weather updates. Tremendous amounts of rain. Always on. Always the news team you trust. Watch 6ABC 24-7 on your streaming device. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. And welcome back to the show. I'm joined this week by Jenny Hill. Uh, Jenny is CEO of the Girl Scouts for Central and Southern New Jersey. Um, I wanted to start the second segment with a quote. You said, I've had mentors who've encouraged me to try many things I didn't know I like and to push myself to take risks. Um, I wonder if you can give me an example. When, you know, What's the first risk that comes to mind that, that you took um, that was led by a someone who who did the idea yeah so um i was uh, a junior in high school and my one of my math uh, teachers encouraged me to run for student council and i mentioned it in the earlier segment i thought that was quite a strange uh thing for him to suggest for me to do because i didn't think i was popular enough um to to win an election um but I went ahead and I did it. I put myself out there. I know now looking back on that, that I learned some things about public speaking, about how to promote myself, which is a skill that oftentimes women feel very uncomfortable with, you know, self-promotion feels, um, you know, feels selfish. Um, and I, I did it. I didn't win, um, which was okay, but I learned a lot. And I, and I took that experience into my college years and thought of it often when I'd say, oh, this kind of looks interesting. Maybe I want to join this. There was a a student alumni association, which was a group of student ambassadors that connected with alumni. And I thought, oh, I can't, I can't do it. Um, And at that time was working a part-time job and I mentioned it to my boss and he said, sure you can. Why, why wouldn't you? Why are you any less than anybody else who would do that? And I thought, "Hmm, okay, I'll give it a try. Right. And, you know, I think all the way up until my first big leadership job in nonprofit, which again was a moment where I didn't aspire to be a CEO, um, wasn't on my radar list. I was just, you know, living life and working hard and taking each opportunity as it came and uh, worked for um, someone who said, I'm about to retire and I think you should take the reins. And I thought, really? (laughs) You know, and... Um, And so, you know, I went for it. So, you know, I think I think there have been so many people that have made suggestions to me Um, now at this juncture in my career. I'm learning from some of the employees that I have mentored and developed who are saying to me, what are you going to do next? You know, and and sort of 
like not leading me up, but pushing me up at this point. So it's yeah. just, you know, if you look for it, it's there. I really yeah. try to there. Right. And be open to it. Be open to it. Absolutely. Um, you actually, you were CEO for the YWCA for 10 years. Mm -hmm. I was wondering if, what's the biggest difference you see in kids when you were working with them there and the young people you're working with today? Well, I think there's a lot of things. I mean, a common theme for girls um, that, you know, has been around since the beginning of time is that girls still often struggle with the societal messages that um, are around them about, you know, how they're supposed to look and how they're supposed to behave. Um, you know, what's really fascinating right now is um, because of um, a lot of really hard things that youth went through during COVID, you know, we're able to talk about mental and emotional health in a much more open forum than probably we were even five or six years ago. There was still a lot of stigma. Um, and so I think that's that's good. Um, you know, the the circumstances for girls aren't changing fast enough. It's why organizations like the YWCA and the Girl Scouts are so important, because we're safe places where women and girls can um, work with each other and help to buoy their um, their circumstance, their self-confidence to, to have a, a place where they can be courageous um, and and move their their lives and their goals forward. Can, excuse me, can you tell me specifically what the Girl Scouts are doing to support and promote um, the, the mental health and wellness of girls? What kinds of activities are you doing that make them feel comfortable to open up? Yeah, well, everything that we do is girl-led um, and girl-decisioned. And that is one of the very basic uh, sort of foundational pieces for girls is if they feel they have a voice and a role and that they're being heard and listened to and that their, you know, their idea is going to be implemented or what they want to do is actually going to be considered, it helps to build that self-confidence, which is really so foundational to emotional wellness for girls. Certainly, we are not a mental health organization. Um, we don't have um, that competency, but we have partners that we we work with um, if our girls are struggling with things that maybe are more serious and that kind of professional support. Um, and then the second most important thing is it is that girl-only environment. So still too often, if in co-ed environments, girls will pull back. Um, mm -hmm. You know, one of the statistics that to me is incredibly meaningful um, is that girls, um, girls and boys will be on the same trajectory uh, in challenging subjects uh, like math and science through the third and fourth grade. About the fifth grade, the numbers of girls starts to decline. And that's about the time that you know, girls start to notice boys and boys start to notice girls that, you know, youth start to notice each other. And girls will sit back because still being smart is not not always embraced um, and yeah. seen as cool and attractive. And we certainly know in adulthood that normalizes itself a lot, but yeah. those formative years are still really hard for our girls. It's incredible to me that still at this point in time that that sense of being a leader and being smart isn't cool yet. And mm -hmm. I'm always talking about how can we make it cool? How can we make yeah. it the thing that you want to be? Because maybe, 
I don't want to say because that's impressive to the boys. That sounds awful. It, you know, mm -hmm. we do it for ourselves. Yes. Um, yes. But what do you think's holding back that sense of pride in, you know, striving for greatness? Well, it could be a lot of little things. I mean, one of the things that we know is that, um, you know, a lot of kids, I mean, girls and boys alike, tend to be very hard on themselves um, and will internalize one message. And if if they don't have a supportive uh, community around them, um, then those things just become bigger and bigger as time goes on, right? So, um, and it doesn't mean they come from disadvantaged backgrounds or they don't have loving families. I mean, you know, there's, I think, a lot of, um, you know, sort of judgment and perception that, you know, certain children from certain areas have challenges different, but kids of all ages from all backgrounds have challenges. Um, some of them have significantly less resources. They even have more challenge, um, you know, if they don't have a supportive community around them. But what I see is that when girls have an opportunity to come into an organization like ours, where they, they can really do a, a thousand different things, like the options are pretty, pretty big in terms of what they can try and, and do. Um, and those little things make a huge difference. Uh, a few years ago, one of our Girl Scouts, who was a, a senior in high school, had never slept away from home. Um, had an opportunity to sleep away from home. And then when it came time to consider college, uh, felt a lot more comfortable about the idea of going a little further away than staying at home. And and that's a simple thing. You know, I, I got to sleep away from home uh, at friends' house. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. This is when I was in elementary school, but she had never had that opportunity. And we wow. provided that to her and just think about how different her life is because she then felt comfortable about going away to college. Yeah. Um, so you oversee close to 18,000 girls and volunteers. Tell me what, and I'm sure this is what people saw in you um, that led them to encourage you to take on leadership roles. But, you know, tell me about your leadership style. What are the things that you do to really motivate everybody within your organization? Um, well, the first thing I'll say is I am, um, I consider myself a servant leader. So um, I, I don't do everything my staff do every day um, or what my volunteers do every day, but I have certainly done um, enough and continue to do enough that I understand the shoes in which they walk, right? So I really try to be sure that everybody understands um, that we are an organization um, especially my staff, you know, we are we are of service to our volunteers and our girls that we're mission oriented. Um, I'm a huge believer in potential and possibility, right? I I see the world and the glasses as more than half full, right? Uh, very much focus on what do we have and what can we make of what we have versus looking at the world and worrying about what we 
don't have, um, you know, and, and so, cause I, I believe you can make, you can make a lot of something out of a very little bit, um, mm-hmm. and, and just doing that, doing it in that way. Um, and I try to be, the third thing I will say is I try to be accessible. Um, so this week, you know, um, as an example in my professional life, I'll be, um, visiting one of our local Girl Scout uh, groups um, who's having a special event on Sunday um, mm-hmm. because I love to be in the in our communities with the girls and the volunteers and hearing what they're up to and what they're doing each and every day. That's probably the most important because you hear directly from them about what's working and what's not, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I always tell the girls when I when I meet them, um, you know, that they may not know what a CEO does or what my job is, but I say to them, my job is to make sure you're having fun and that you're happy with your Girl Scout experience. How am I doing? You know, <laughs> and then, and then, right? And then we have a little bit of a conversation about what are they, what's really awesome, you know, what are maybe they wish was different, and that's always good input. I'm I'm constantly gathering that input from the girls, from their parents, from our volunteers, and from our staff. Yeah, I'm sure that this particular conversation happens a lot within the organization, um, talking about social media and technology and. We're just so incredibly overly connected. And that I think that creates a lot of angst and anxiety for kids, but I think it does for adults as well. I think the ability for us to have so much knowledge about what's happening in the world everywhere, you know, not just in Delaware. Um, what, do, what keeps you up at night? What do you worry most about? Hmm. Oh, wow. Um, well, I have at this point um, seven grandchildren. Um, so we, my husband and I, I think both worry about what is the environment and the planet going to be for them. Um, I worry a lot about civil discourse. You know, we have we have, in many instances, have lost our ability to have conversations where we can agree to disagree, but still agree to something so that we can move forward productively. Um, It makes me, it actually makes me sad when I will encounter, you know, someone, whether it be on social media or in the day-to-day life who um, is so combative, you know, I I know they're wounded for some reason, if they're so combative and so defensive. And you know, and so that, that kind of keeps me up at night, um, from an empathetic view. Yeah. Do you ever feel, you know, in your role, are there, well, there are days when things don't go as planned. What What is your mantra? What do you say to yourself to kind of bring you back to a grounded place? Um, well, first off that, um, I am blessed and I love the fact that I, can be in a professional career where I'm be, of being, where I am a, being of service to the world and making the world a better place. I, I was lucky to figure that out in my late 30s. It's what led to the transition to work in the nonprofit sector permanently. Um, so grateful for that. And then in my current role, it's because it's about the girls. It's what I do is for the future. Is the every girl who becomes more aware of who she is, what her gifts are, what her authentic self is, who has that confidence, who can go out into the world. That's the ripple effects of 
great change for um, for all of us. And so that is really what keeps me keeps me motivated and keeps me going. Do you feel is that you had said something a little earlier about, you know, people pushing you, you know, do you feel as though you are where you're meant to be or do you have aspirations yeah, so um, I, I am where I'm at, where I'm meant to be. I, um, you know, I realized maybe my second year in at the YWCA that um, there are other things, other things I care about, other causes I care about, um, but not all of them would I uh, would would be enough to motivate me forty. 80, 100 hours a week to get the work done. Um, yeah. So in terms of the mission alignment and in the role that I am in, the combination of leader, coach, mentor, fostering uh, new talent. Um, one of the things I am most proud of probably in my entire life is that there are five other women um, out there across the country leading nonprofit organizations who started um, because of a conversation or working with me and me helping to mentor them and spread that other leadership out in the world. So I'm a huge believer in paying it forward. And I get to do that every day, which is is just, it's giving me chills just saying it out loud. Yeah, that's so great. I'm assuming you bring back women who were Girl Scouts and now they're in top positions and they come in and speak to the girls. Oh, absolutely. We yeah. we do that informally all the time and we do it formally by some of the programs and activities that we run. It's a really important part. Girls need to see that women can be the things that they um, they want or are dreaming about being. Did I read that you were in banking at one point, but prior to nonprofit? What do you not miss about the corporate world versus nonprofit? Um, so I think the, one of the biggest differences is that in the corporate world, things are much more regimented and structured, whereas in nonprofit, just because of the way our business models work, there's a lot more opportunity to be entrepreneurial um, and you, you sort of have to mix things up and and you know, be willing to adapt and change. And I like that. I like variety. Um, I had my last boss in banking used to say to me, um, you know, could you, could you try to keep regular hours? Like you don't even really keep regular hours. And I would say to him, well, but I'm getting all my work done and I'm trying this, I'm trying that. And he was like, yeah, but we need to keep regular hours. And you know, I would rebel. I rebelled against that a little bit. Like, well, what's the difference? I don't understand. Why, why does it matter? Right. Ahead, not, of your, ahead of your time. Cause uh, I, maybe I was right. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that's what I, that's what I um, don't miss. And, and honestly, I got out of banking because of all the mergers and the job insecurity. And so I probably have more job insecurity in nonprofits simply because <laughs> You know, we're so dependent on the generosity of others um, in order to, to keep our engines running, if you will. But um, I just I just love being part of the mission centricity. Um, and, you know, so it kind of overcomes that for me. Yeah, well, I of course, I strongly um, advocate and support what you're doing for young girls because they that we really need to change, you know, um, society and and. And the messaging that is given to them about who they should be, what they can do, what they can't do, they really need to know it comes from within them mm -hmm. and it's up to them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and that's, the, that's really the amazing thing about Girl Scouting, whether it be the entrepreneurial 
program that we run, which is most visible in the iconic Girl Scout cookie program or our STEM programs, mm. our life skill programs, our being in the outdoors and going to camp and trying things like tomahawk throwing or climbing a rock wall. You know, it, it, all of that breath gives girls the opportunity to try things. And then if they don't like them, it's like, OK, well, now I know I'm maybe not an outdoors girl, but I love robotics. And look at this. I can go deep now and really get all of it, all of um, what I can out of Girl Scouts in that in that space. Yeah. So that that variety is really key. Yeah, it's excellent. Well, listen, um, I thank you so much again, Ginny, for coming on and talking about your own journey and, and what the Girl Scouts are doing today. Thank you so much. Thank you, Sue. It was really great to be here. Stay tuned. And up next is Sherry Marson for our Lifestyle Watch segment. We'll be right back. Action News, celebrating 50 years of AccuWeather. If you think severe weather has been on the rise, you are correct. In the last three years, tornado warnings in our region have shattered records. With 52 last year alone, half of those warnings resulted in confirmed tornadoes, including two extremely rare EF3s. Thanks for always trusting us to keep you informed. 50 Years of AccuWeather is sponsored by Independence Blue Cross. Choose coverage you can count on with the region's strongest network. Is the best vacation one that you find? Or one you get lost in? One that takes you to new heights? Or reminds you to go with the flow? To get your feet wet and your wheels spinning? One that lets you find your own rhythm? Or get carried away? Find the best of yourself. Get lost in the woods. Plan your stay in the Wildwoods today. From Philadelphia to the Lehigh Valley and everywhere in between, for 150 years, Penn Community Bank has been a part of your neighborhood. Helping businesses start, supporting families as they grow, and staying connected to the people and places that make this region special. It's who we are and where we're from. Penn Community Bank. Here we are and here we grow. There's a moment every hour, every day, every week. These moments shape our world. They add color, perspective, and sometimes pain. Moments are meant to be shared. Shared by friends, family, people you trust. At Action News, we cherish every moment. And it's our profound responsibility to bring you closer to your world. Never miss a moment. Trust the people at Action News. Do you stream on a Roku, a Fire Stick, Google TV, or Apple TV? Now you can watch 6ABC 24-7 with the 6ABC Philadelphia streaming app. Watch Action News Live. And the big story on Action News. Plus special programming, breaking news, and severe weather updates. Tremendous amounts of rain. Always on. Always the news team you trust. Watch 6ABC 24-7 on your streaming device. Search 6ABC Philadelphia and start streaming today. Hello and welcome to the lifestyle segment of Women to Watch. I'm Sherry Morrison. Today I have the pleasure of introducing Natanya Sortland, Ambassador for the Chester County Vision Corps. Welcome to the show, Natanya. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So Natanya is joining me today to raise awareness about Chester County Vision Corps. Nine years ago, she suffered a stroke and one year after the stroke was hit in the head with a beam. 
As a result, Natanya became visually impaired and also, and also suffers the repercussions of a traumatic brain injury. Natanya, please tell us how you came across Vision Core and how they helped manage your challenges. Thank you. I discovered that my site, it was like my world went out of focus. I didn't know how to email. I was almost hit by a car. I was cutting myself, burning myself, and I couldn't find help. And that's that's when I, I found Vision Core. That's when I found Vision Core and and they changed everything. And so Natanya was one of Chester County Vision Core's first clients. Her therapist told her being blind would remake her, but not define but not define her. And they were right. Today, Natanya is on a mission as an ambassador for Chester County Vision Corps to build, raise funds and awareness for this organization that has given her more freedom than she's ever expected to regain. Natanya, please tell us about Vision Corps, your experiences and the services they provided for you. Absolutely. I have to tell you that when you have vision issues like mine or vascular degeneration, you have a moment where you suddenly realize, I don't know how to handle this. I don't know what to do. And it's a horrible panic. So I, I was given Vision Corps' number. They had just moved into Chester County and they sent someone to my home. Her name was Taylor. She walked into my kitchen and she saw my panic and she goes, I've got a solution for every problem. We got this. They gave me mobility training. I have a cane. They taught me how to be in my home so I didn't have to go around my home with my eyes shut. They taught me safety. Heck, they even said that, you know, what is it when you're on, when you're on like a canoe, like, like on, on um, water? Um, oh gosh, I have trouble remembering my words, but uh, kayaking, like <laughs> they, like Vision Corps is like, we're going to change your life. And by the way, would you like to learn how to kayak? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> thank you. Um, so they've, they're, they they changed my life and, and that's that's why I'm here because I know there are people like me sitting at home without help and I want to get it to them. Yeah, it's, it's a great mission that you have and, and a nice payback for Vision Corps. Um, great of you to do. Part of Vision Corps' mission is to empower individuals with vision impairment and loss to attain independence through rehabilitation and recreational services. There's no cost for these services. Vision Corps relies on donations from the community and revenue from business and industry for funding and support. That is why we are trying to raise awareness. There are youth and adult services. They have preventative kids site screenings and routine eye care. They provide equal access through technology, case management, low vision occupational therapy, education and peer support groups, braille instruction and orientation and mobility. Natanya, please tell us and share the story about the young man who didn't want to use a cane. Yes. I uh, didn't realize that there was so much cane shame in my community. The shame of using a cane, having somebody tell you. And I was told, like, I don't want you to use the cane around me. But I decided I was going to. And I'm glad I did because I was at a museum, standing in front of a painting, figuring out how am I going to, I don't know what's going on up there. And this mother came up to me with her two children and she whispered to me, she said, you use your cane with so much confidence. My son has a brain tumor. He's going to be completely blind in the next two years. 
He is 13 years old and he is refusing to acknowledge his situation or use any cane training. And I said, I was like, I got this. So I use my cane as a social distancing tool and I bopped him in the foot. I'm like, we're social distancing. And that was that that was the day that I decided I was going to talk to anybody who came up to me and ask questions. I told him, you can be anything you want. Just tell me you didn't want to be an airline pilot. And I saw his he started to grin and I go, look, make, do tricks on your cane, own your cane. When you have a cane, you've got to have a better ability to solve problems. I said, you can be anything and be a ninja with that cane. I got a text from the mother a day or two later, and that that said to me, and I kept it, that he's decided to accept all help, and he wants to be a ninja with his cane. And uh, it, it starts to make um, the deficits I deal with worth it. Yeah, that's fantastic. You've, you've made lemonade out of lemons. Yes. Um, with locations in Chester County, Lancaster, York, and Lebanon counties for 95 years. Vision Corps also produces quality products and provides employment for people who are blind and vision impaired. Their business and industry group is a comprehensive business partner in the commercial and government sectors. They are part of a national consortium of nonprofits who work with the national industries for the blind to employ people who are blind and vision impaired under the Ability One program. Their mission is to see a world where vision loss is not a barrier to personal or economic independence. Vision Corps has numerous fundraising events each year, and the biggest event is coming up on June 9th at 8 a.m. at the Lancaster Holiday Inn. <laughs> Natanya, you are participating for the third year in the eyedrop. <laughs> Please yep. tell us about the eyedrop and how you dress for the occasion and why. First of all, I have to tell you about the eyedrop. It's our biggest fundraiser where we climb down a 10-story building to raise money. If that doesn't tell you something about this charity that we ourselves are willing to climb down a building, I don't know what will. I refused to go down the first time they asked, the second time they asked, and the third time Taylor asked me. I said, I'm terrified of heights. Stop asking me, she said. We need someone from Chester County to go down the building and nobody else is doing it. All right. I had that moment where I said to her, I'm going to dress up as the Statue of Liberty to get attention because just, you know, Vision Corps gave me my life and liberty back. I said, I will climb down your building and I will make it my mission to bring Vision Corps into Chester County. I didn't know how. But I figured climbing down a building was a good start. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love you, Chester County, like seriously, but it's asking a lot. Yeah. And you you need the community support. I the do. first year you were the only Chester County participant. And the last year you were joined by Christina Wagner of the United Way representing Chester County. So there were two of you. And yes. this year you oh. have a bigger Chester County team of 10 so far. And it includes some very special team members. Please tell us more. I'm very excited. This year, I have para-Olympian in a blind sport, Andy Jenks. He's won medals and he's training for Paris, but he's making time to stop by and climb down a building for Chester County. I have got the president of the United Way of Chester County, Chris Salo. I have Christina Wagner. I have representative of the Blind Golfing Association. Bet you didn't know that the blind could golf. I know I have to think about that too. 
We have a representative of Coventry Lions Club climbing down the building. I also have a retired colonel and a pastor and a couple of friends and family. Ten. <laughs> You're doing an amazing job. I mean, that's a that's a huge bonus compared to last year and the year before. Y yes, I, and I'm the only team in Chester County. That's the thing is it's it's just me. So I'm yeah. grateful for everybody's help. Yeah. So Vision Corps serves and supports over 2,000 people with vision impairments. We want more for Vision Corps, and this eye drop sounds like a lot of fun. For more information on how to support Natanya and her team for the eye drop and make a monetary donation, go to, and this will appear at the bottom of your screen, https colon backslash backslash give dot vision core, and that's core, C-O-R-P-S dot net backslash Lady Liberty. For a donation and for a donation of a thousand dollars you may also become a repelling participant please come on out on june 9th at 8 a.m to cheer on the team again it takes place at the lancaster holiday inn at 26 east chestnut street uh, natanya anything else you want to add i do right now chester <laughs> county is not a really aware of these services we're not utilizing them and we're not really fundraising for them it is me so I'm asking you today to help me bring something to Chester County that's already here that we need. I know we can do this and I can't do it alone. I really could use your help. Great, great. And it will benefit so many people and be able to provide services for other people that have vision impairments as well. Yes. Natanya, thank you for your time and making us aware of some of the services Vision Corps provides overall and the Chester County Vision Corps organization. Uh, Sue will be right back to close out the show. Ladies, keep living your dreams. At Action News, we cherish every moment, and it's our profound responsibility to bring you closer to your world. Never miss a moment. Trust the people at Action News. Hi, this is Sue Rocco. Women to Watch is pleased to share a clip from Breaking Through, a podcast hosted by Madeline Bell, the president and CEO of Children's Hospital of Philadelphia. This interview is part of a series in which Madeline interviews CHOP's women scientists about what inspires them and advice they have for other women interested in pursuing science and medicine careers. My guest today is Dr. Marnie Falk. Dr. Falk is a geneticist who specializes in caring for children with mitochondrial disease. So let's start with you describing what is mitochondrial disease and how does it impact children? Absolutely. It's very hard to look at somebody and know that their mitochondria aren't working. I give the analogy to my patients of a doll. If somebody brought you a toy doll and the doll's arm wasn't connected, you would know there was a trauma. There was something obviously wrong. But if somebody brought you that doll, let's say a child, and the doll wasn't walking and it wasn't talking and it wasn't blinking and the lights weren't going on, most parents would try to change the batteries. Well, that's what we think of as mitochondrial disease. The batteries aren't working properly. So things like Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's disease, even aging. When we age, our mitochondrial DNA integrity becomes impaired. 
we get deletions in it and we get less mitochondria. And you know this because if you're at a party with grandkids and little kids, who's the ones running around? <laughs> it's the little kids because their energy is just so much higher because our ability to make energy goes down unless we exercise. That really helps us. <laughs> so we're still learning all the different areas where mitochondrial dysfunction is happening. We're now recognizing it's probably much more than even one in 4,300. It's probably many more of us <laughs> than we'd like to admit. To hear more of Madeline's interviews with CHOP's amazing doctors and scientists, listen to Breaking Through with Madeline Bell, available wherever you get your podcasts. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Thank you again for tuning in. Stay tuned next week for my interview with Patricia Wellenbach, the president and CEO of the Please Touch Museum. Thanks so much to Kateri for doing a great job producing and all of our corporate partners who are part of our watch team. Have a great week, everyone. Action News, celebrating 50 years of AccuWeather. If you think severe weather has been on the rise, you are correct. In the last three years, tornado warnings in our region have shattered records. With 52 last year alone, half of those warnings resulted in confirmed tornadoes, including two extremely rare EF3s. Thanks for always trusting us to keep you informed. 50 Years of AccuWeather is sponsored by Independence Blue Cross. Choose coverage you can count on with the region's strongest network. Now, the women to watch, military watch. Fewer than half of eligible veterans use the VA health benefits they are entitled to. But those who do use the VA, more than 80% of veterans are satisfied with the VA care. Hi, I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. Now, you may be asking, why should this matter to me? I share this with you because most of our listeners have some connection to the veterans in their community and may have the opportunity to share information about this new VA benefit. The VA has just launched the PACT Act, which is the Promise to Address Comprehensive Toxics, which is the most significant expansion of veteran benefits and care in more than three decades. Empowering the VA to help millions of toxic exposed veterans and their survivors. The PACT Act expands VA health care and benefits for veterans exposed to burn pits, Agent Orange, and many other toxic substances. The PACT Act adds to the list of health conditions that the VA presumes are caused by exposure to these substances. This law helps the VA provide generations of veterans and their survivors with the care and benefits they've earned and deserve. The PACT Act is the least we can do for the countless men and women who suffered toxic exposure while serving their country, said President Biden during the PACT Act bill signing ceremony. It means access to life insurance, home loan insurance, tuition benefits, and help with health care. So what can you do? Simply refer those veterans you know to va.gov and tell them to search the PACT Act to learn more. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. 
rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.